0: That should help the guys up the back. I don't know why they can't make these things work when I've got it on mute. It's great to be back, and uh, Elena and I and uh, the kids went to Melbourne and visited Elena's brothers, and I uh, got to play with a seven-month-old child, which is always fantastic. So we had tons of fun, and uh, we've come back well-rested, but it's good to be back. It's good to be gathered with God's people, and it is good to be able to present a message this morning about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always find it interesting when you speak to people about the gospel. You know, I think if we went around the room, everyone would say that actually believe the gospel everyone would say that they engage with the gospel but if I was to ask you to tell me what the gospel is I think there'd be a few people who would have trouble articulating that in fact the last church that I was at when I arrived at that church I was told that the young adults were ready to go out and proclaim the gospel to the people in the community and I thought that was brilliant it makes my job very easy you know they're doing all these wonderful things and I just look good because I'm in charge of them and so I had this meeting with these guys and one by one I went round them and I said, you're at work, you've got 30 seconds beside the water fountain, and someone asked you to tell them about the gospel, what would you say? And there was one person in that room who could give an answer. Some of them were sort of like, ooh, 30 seconds, that's a little difficult. Some just didn't know what to say and so this is a failing that we have had as a church as leadership right across denominations right across the church of God where we assume that people understand the gospel we assume that you know what to say and so we stand up here and we say you should be doing this but we don't realize that for most people they've got no idea what they should be saying and engaging with those around them so hopefully by the end of today at the very least I'll give you something that you can talk about And hopefully you will be able to engage with people and formulate a little about the faith that we say we have and the gospel that we believe in. Before we get into it, let's just pause and pray. Father God, I thank you again for your presence. I thank you for the worship leading that we've had, Lord, in song. I thank you, Lord, that you're present in a very real and powerful way this morning. And Lord, I pray by power of Holy Spirit, you'll continue to minister to each one as they have need. I pray that we'll have open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear your voice this morning. Father, help us to go from this place rejoicing. Because we have met with you, it's good to be with each other, Lord, but we need to encounter you. So will you do your work this morning? Will you challenge where challenge is needed? Will you teach where teaching is needed? Will you just love and nurture where that's needed, Lord? Each of us, I want to draw closer to you, Lord. I trust that's our prayer. So minister to us, I ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we think about the gospel, I think there'd be many people who quote, well, that's a scary start. (laughs) Now we're not working at all. We had troubles this morning, it was a setting on this, so try again. All right, pray for it, I need it. I'm lost without it okay so when you talk about the gospel with people many quote something like this for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and that's a good passage of scripture to quote I won't actually say that it's not the thing is if we're not ashamed of the gospel then we shouldn't want to know it we should want to understand it we should want to know what it means how do we explain it how to live it we should believe in the power of the gospel message And it should be the one thing that shapes our lives. It should be the thing that causes us to rethink our attitudes, our decision-making. In fact, everything we do should be through the looking glass of the gospel. Our worldview should change to a gospel view. And God should become the purpose of our lives, not a priority. He should be the purpose for us living. And when we think about the gospel, it should be our only motivation and the one thing that gives us strength wisdom discernment and power to live in this present age and we should be non-compromising on that it should be what we hold fast to and it should be so vital to us that without it we believe we would die that's how important the gospel is to us as Christians so what is the gospel praise God it worked thank you Jesus (laughs) If we look at Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Who finds that a little strange? No one. Oh, well, let's turn the lights out and go home. (laughs) You know, when we talk about gospel, we think that it's the story of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came to earth as a man, how he died and was buried. So he was definitely dead. And then how he rose again and now he lives for eternity. And yet, Jesus came. The very first thing he did when John the Baptist was killed was proclaim the gospel. So, what was it that Jesus was talking about when he proclaimed the gospel? Just for those of you who don't know, when Jesus started his ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't written either. That happened a bit after Jesus died. So, they weren't talking about that. Jesus wasn't talking about that either. And the proclamation that Jesus made caused people to change their lives. It caused them to repent. It caused them to throw their faith upon God and to trust Him. So what was Jesus saying when He came proclaiming the gospel? And what the people understood was, when Jesus proclaimed the gospel, He was basically saying that God is bringing in a new kingdom. This is a kingdom that will overthrow all other kingdoms. This is a kingdom that will know no one Defeating it or conquering it. It is a kingdom that is going to stand forever. And Jesus was saying that this kingdom will offer, and the, and the new king will offer terms of peace. He'll offer a treaty to you. And if you choose to accept those terms of peace, that treaty, then you will live. And if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And this type of proclamation was quite common. So the gospel word is actually a word that is borrowed by Christianity. And now when we say gospel, people think about Christianity. They think about the message that we have. But this was quite common. So when neighboring kingdoms or kingdoms would fight, what would happen is the victorious army, their general, would send a messenger to the defeated city. And that guy would roll up at the city gates and he'd call out, to the people in the city good news we've defeated your king because he would often have his head the king's head in his hand and I come offering you terms of treaty I come offering you peace all you have to do is do what we say and so when Jesus used this term gospel that is what these people were thinking of that is why they went you know what we should buy into this now before the king arrives and does his thing so the commander's ambassador would turn up at the gates and he'd make this proclamation. And if the people accepted the terms of treaty to live at peace with the new king, the gates would be open, they'd go in, they'd settle things and everything would be fine. Of course, that city is now subject to the new king. But if they didn't accept those terms of treaty, if they decided that they didn't want to submit to the conquering king, there were consequences. And you can imagine that when... The ambassador who was standing at the gate with the king's head, very dead. They would take him. They'd beat him up. They'd send him back to the conquering king. Sometimes they'd behead him and they'd tie his headless body to a horse and send that back to the conquering king. Now just think about that. This ambassador has arrived at the gate because their army is defeated. And they do something like that to the conquering general's ambassador what's he going to do he's going to come and he's going to slaughter everyone there's not going to be any second chance they're not going to be given the opportunity to say sorry and that's what's going to happen when we understand that's what's being said here it throws a whole new light on some of the scripture now Matthew 21 to 40 some of us okay we'll go back to this sorry (laughs) this is what happens when you skip your notes sometimes so the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel and this is the declaration that god is the conquering general okay this is what ties it all together and the gospel announcement is the victory of god's messiah okay so this is jesus victory that is being proclaimed it's going to sweep over all people and for them to accept the offered terms of peace in this case god's ambassador Is the Lord Jesus Christ that's what happens and when we understand that when we understand the meaning of the gospel that we've explained in this passage of Scripture it throws a whole heap of light onto this passage and I know you can't see this very well but this is the parable of the vineyard and the owner of the vineyard leases out the vineyard to tenants and the story is that when the season of fruit grew near drew near the owner of the vineyard sent his ambassador to the vineyard to get to get some of the fruit and what did the people in the vineyard do they took that guy and they beat him up and they threw him out and this happened several times some of these people they beat up some of them they actually killed and then the owner of the vineyard said I'm gonna send my son surely they'll respect my son they will listen to him so the owner of the vineyard sends his son And the people who were leasing the vineyard said, here is the heir to the throne. Let's kill him. Let's throw his body out and then we can own the vineyard. And the question is asked, what will the owner of the vineyard do? And I'm sure you all know the answer. We'll touch on that again a little bit down the track. And of course, when this was spoken, it was very pointedly about the Jewish religious leaders of the day. But it's also very appropriate for us. God created this incredible world for us to live in. He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he said, tend to this. This is your vineyard. And God stepped back from that. And he said, this is very good. And you know what then we said? because I would have done exactly the same thing as Adam and Eve at some time, we said, you know what? I don't need God as my king. I've got my vineyard. I've got everything that I need here. I don't need him telling me what to do. And you know what? There's a tree here where I can be just like him. I don't need God. And so sin enters the world... And all through history, we have recorded that God sent His prophets to talk to us who had gone astray, to draw us back to Himself, so He could have relationship with us. And what do we know about the prophets? They were beat up. They were cast out. They were ridiculed. Many were killed. And then God sends His Son. Surely, we respect God's Son. we killed him we cast him out and then you know if it hadn't been for a couple of good guys Jesus body would have been on a scrap heap totally disrespected what's God going to do come that day we thought we knew better we ignored all that we were told and we killed Jesus we come to that passage of scripture that was read out at the start of the service and Paul here is proclaiming the gospel to the Corinthians he's declaring to them that he spoke this message to them before can I bother someone to turn one of these fans on please I am literally dying I know I feel the heat a lot more than anyone else but I'm feeling particularly bad right now sorry maybe I'm feeling like I'm in hell But Paul proclaimed this message to them, and they received it. It's upon the facts of this message that they now stand firmly. And the gospel message did not only save them when the message was being proclaimed. Is this my welcome back? A ticker tape parade. No distractions in church. Focus, people, focus. Wow. Maybe that was meant for Tom. Where's Tom? Bless you, brother. So when we talk about the gospel message and people being saved, you can see from this that they'd already see the message, but they are being saved. And this is when I talk about justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is that first step. When we first acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we're put back into right relationship with him, that's our justification. This is our sanctification. This is the daily setting apart and saying, Lord, I will follow you. I will do what you would have me to do. This is taking up our cross and saying, I put to death my old self, all my desires, everything I want in life, and I'm following you, Lord. This is literally saying on your knees in the morning, before you approach your day, Lord Jesus, you and me, what are we going to do? Together, what are we going to do? I am here for your service and your purposes. It is those holy instruments that are set aside for God's glory. And we need to realize that this gospel story is not some fanciful thing. And guys, you've got to get this in your head. You've got to stand upon these truths that are in Scripture. Otherwise, you'll be cut down. And some of these things are pretty whacked out. I mean, if I was to rush in here and and say that someone that we definitely knew was dead has suddenly risen to life, I mean, that's pretty freaky, right? And I think most of you wouldn't trust me. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. But the thing is, that's one of the foundational things of Scripture. And these facts are based upon one man and upon his personal history and all that he did. And that man, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promised Messiah. And he fulfilled all the Scripture which spoke about the Messiah. And he was promised way back in the Garden of Eden. So guys, I know some of us think that the Old Testament and the Temple and all that was plan A. And Jesus was plan B. It was always Jesus It was always planned that he would come. And the Old Testament really shows the futility of thinking that we can do it. We were only ever going to be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the evidence that we have on his life, on his death, on his resurrection, is what we need to stand upon. And 1 Corinthians 5 to 8 said, And that he appeared first to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all as to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. Think upon this evidence for a while. Jesus appeared first to one man, to Cephas. Then he appeared to the 12. We'd expect that those guys, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, would actually be able to collate that message and say, well, let's just say he did. But then he appeared to 500 That's pretty hard to control. If I was to fabricate a story and say, I want all of you people to be on board with this, I want you all to, do you think I'd be able to get all of you to agree on the details of something I'd fabricated? But there was 500 brothers at one time. And do you notice this next line? Most of whom are still alive. Basically what's being said, you know, if you're not gonna take it from me, from my word, go and talk to him. you know Ted Ted down the road he saw Jesus just before Jesus ascended he was one of the 500 and so these people are still present with him. and that's what they're saying if you don't believe me go and talk to them and then he appeared to James now there's a little bit of conjecture as to whether this is James Jesus biological brother or not is irrelevant because we know that James who was Jesus brother changed anyway I personally believe that this is Um, Jesus brother and I believe that it's included for a very good reason you know James and his other siblings didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah were you aware of that some of us are that's good and the thing is in John 7, there's this whole section of scripture which speaks about James and his brothers talking to Jesus. And they've been incredibly sarcastic. It's like, well, if you're the Messiah, go up to Judea, show them your miracles. Everyone should know you if you're Messiah. And there's other passages of scripture that emphasize that James and the rest of the family, short of Mary, didn't believe he was Messiah. And John 7, 5 says this, just in case you don't get that clear enough, for not even his brothers believed him. And so we've got this situation where James didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. Jesus died and gets buried. And then somewhere between that and when James dies, something happens. And James changes his his whole view of who Jesus is. And there's only one solution. James saw Jesus alive. And I believe this scripture points to it that we we read, read before. But... The thing is, this guy who didn't believe his own brother was Messiah becomes the leader of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And he is called James the Just. And this guy is incredible. He had knees, they say, that were like the knees of camels because of the calluses on his knees from the amount of time he spent praying to God. And the Jewish leaders come to James and they said, James... All these people are following Jesus. They're saying he is Messiah. We want you to tell, him the, tell them the truth. We want you to tell them that Jesus is not Messiah. And James says, let me at him. And so they take James, the Jewish leaders take James to the top of the temple. And all the people are gathered in the courts below who are beginning to follow Jesus. And these Jewish leaders want James to tell them that Jesus is not Messiah. And James says, this Jesus whom you worship as Messiah is the Son of God. Jewish leaders didn't take that too well. They threw him off. James falls to his death in the courtyard below. A guy who didn't believe his own brother was messiah has this turnaround so great that he now dies for his faith the only solution is that jesus rose from the dead then there's this other guy he's called paul he was called saul he falls on his horse off his horse one day and everything changes for him Something must have happened. This is a guy who is zealous for God. He believes that he is serving God and everything he is doing is right. He's at the top of his game. He's well respected in society. He's very wealthy. He's got the world at his feet. In fact, anything he says is a go. He wants to go persecute the Christians. What piece of paper do you need for that? And so he's on his way to persecute these Christians. And as I said, he fell off his horse. There's a little bit more to it than that. And something changes. And so this guy becomes... Even more zealous for God, if you like. He understands the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and he proclaims Jesus as Messiah. In fact, his turnaround is so amazing the disciples of the day said, hey, we're not going with him. This is the one that's persecuting people. And it takes a while for him to prove himself, but there's several books in the Bible that you read because of this guy, Paul. And the thing is, he declares that he saw the risen Jesus Christ appeared to him in a vision when he fell off his horse. Jesus is alive. We need to stand on those facts. So what have we covered so far? When Jesus came, he proclaimed the gospel, which was a declaration that the kingdom of God was at hand. Those who heard the message understood the declaration being made was about God being the conquering general. And the gospel announcement is that the victory of God's Messiah will sweep across all people, And it calls them to accept the offered terms of peace. And foundational to this declaration is the death and resurrection of Jesus. We need to keep saying that over and over. It is what sets us apart from all religions. Do we worship a dead God? Nah he's alive and praise God he is interceding at God's right hand right now for me and for you as well it is such an incredible blessing so how do we proclaim this message how do we tell others about Jesus what should we do and this brings me to another guy in the Bible and more evidence I believe of the power of God and his message and this is Peter think about Peter Peter's this guy who much of his life's like me and then he gets Holy Spirit and he's not like me but uh, this guy's incredible. You know, he's, he's with the other disciples. And there's this declaration made about, Jesus says, all of you will fall away from me. And Peter goes, Jesus, maybe them. Not me, mate. You and me. All the way. I'll even die for you. And we know the story. Peter ends up denying Christ three times not because he was facing persecution necessarily but because someone recognized him as a follower of Christ he was scared and we come to Acts and Acts 2 is the account of Pentecost where the promised helper, Holy Spirit, is poured out upon all who believe. And Peter is one of the disciples who receive Holy Spirit. And he goes from a man who was afraid, a man who was scared, to someone who was incredibly bold for the Lord. And in Acts 2, verse 22 to 24, we read this. Men of Israel, this Is Peter speaking. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then a little bit further down, we read 36 to 38. Let all those of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. This is an incredible story. This is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead 50 days I don't care how much you guys try to encourage me my life wouldn't turn around that much in 50 days I wouldn't go from this incredibly scared afraid person to someone being as bold as what he's indicated as being here this is a miracle and Peter stands up 50 days later Think about where he is. This is where they had rallied and grabbed Jesus and beat him up and crucified him. And they're now looking at pursuing those who are following Christ. And Peter stands up. And what does he say? Jesus is the son of God. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. You better say you're sorry. That's the crux of the message. Wow. Wow. And this is a guy who could very easily be taken and crucified also. Do you think he's worried about that? He has this power from Holy Spirit and the ability to proclaim this word now. And what happens? 3,000 men, not including women and children, added to the faith that day. You know what's really amazing? He's standing in the very place where they judged, crucified and buried Jesus. And no one said, you're a liar. I've seen the body. No one. And you know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. There is nobody. Never has been. And he lives in eternity on high even now. It's incredible how we shy away from things. We have this habit, so many people these days, where we want to talk about the love of Christ. Love wins after all, doesn't it? And people are being loved right into hell why do we see the need to change the message what was the message that Jesus proclaimed Jesus said there's a kingdom coming it's going to overthrow all kingdoms you've got to get on board the terms of treaty are you believe in me and you believe that God sent me there's going to be trouble these guys Boldly proclaim exactly the same message. This Jesus was God's Son. He came and He lived on this earth. You killed Him. God raised Him from the dead. You need to repent. Always repentance, hand in hand with coming to this word. And so, how do we proclaim it? Our proclamation of the gospel needs to be the same thing. It's in Scripture, it's got to be the way to do it. And if we change it and do anything else, it loses its power. Amen? If we want people to repent, if we want people to realise that they need a saviour, what are we saving them from if we don't tell them they have to repent? And so, when we proclaim this message, I believe we've got to do the same thing. There's a number of things that we can use. You can use the Romans Road. I know the older generation used the Romans Road. nothing wrong with it, it's great. All those scriptures that point out that we need Christ. But I really love the God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't method. Who's heard that? I love this because literally if you've got someone beside the water fountain you don't have water fountains at work anymore do you whatever the water thing is in the staff room whatever if you've got someone who says you've got 30 seconds to tell me the story of Jesus you can do it with this if they say I can give you three hours you can do it with this God man God what if you do what if you don't so God God created the world he created it perfect and he put man in this garden and he stepped back from it he said this is good in fact this is very good and then man man said you know what I want to live my own life. I'm going to do my own thing. I don't need God to make decisions for me. I have the power and ability and knowledge to do it on my own. And sin comes into the world. And God he says, "I'm not happy with this. I want relationship with my creation. I want to restore everything back the way it was. And so I'm going to send my son, and he's going to die. So that I can have that relationship again. So that these people can have eternity with me. What if you do? If you believe that and you call upon Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you will have life and life eternal with him. What if you don't? The consequences are eternal separation from God, eternal separation from everything good, that's the gospel. God, man, God, what if you do? What if you don't? Why do I say eternal separation from everything good? How many of you have had someone say, I'm going to hell, but all my friends are going to be there? And they think they're going to have a party. Eternal separation from everything good. God is good, and all goodness comes from God. And if He isn't present, you're going to be separated from all your mates if there are some there they're going to hate you it's not going to be a happy time so guys i hope that there's something in there that helps you i hope that god's spoken to you obviously when we speak about the gospel seriously i could possibly preach six months about the different things that are contained in god's word about his message but this morning i just want you to grasp the fact that we have this incredible message we have this message that has the power to change lives and we shy back from it we don't need to you know, wouldn't it be awesome if you in your workplace, someone asked you and you just did the God, man, God, what if you do, what if you don't think? They gave their life to Christ and they had so much influence in the place that they went on to tell the others and the whole workplace became Christian. Imagine if a whole university, I know we've got people working in the universities. Do you guys still do the donut thing? Who knows about the donut thing? This is nuts. I mean, this, this is crazy. Like someone rings up and says, yeah, I want a donut. It's conditional though. So they come with the donut And they will answer any questions about Christianity that you want. People have come to faith because of donuts on university campus. Go figure. I'd possibly want spare ribs, so can you bring spare ribs to my place? Yeah. But, you know, there's all these things going on, but we have to be prepared to step into that space and and say, you know what, when opportunity arises, I know what to say. And it's not about defending our faith. Do you think you need to defend Jesus? I mean, come on. This is the creator of the world. He doesn't need us to defend him. He just needs us to proclaim the truth. He just needs us to tell people this incredible story that he has, this incredible truth about how he wants us to be with him in eternity. Don't love people into hell. I've done it. I want to love them into heaven. Look around you. We are supposedly a people Go on, look around you. I tell you, eyeball some of the people that are in this place this morning. There are people here who will not be in heaven. Do you believe that? There's people here who are just going through the motions. And they hear the gospel message week in, week out. We proclaim God's word in this place, and yet they don't grasp that it's for them. I really pray Holy Spirit is moving this morning. We need people to realise this isn't a game. Church is not a social club. This is life and death. You choose Jesus or you choose death. There's no middle ground. My prayer is when I get to glory, every one of you are there. And we can stand and witness for each other about the great things that God has done. And hopefully your prayer is, everyone you know, everyone you encounter, we'll be standing with you in glory too. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, is not dependent upon the abilities of Charlie. I thank you, Lord... That as we have seen when your word is proclaimed and proclaimed in a way that is uncompromising lives are changed and Lord we ask you'll do it again I ask Lord that there's people here this morning I know there's people here this morning who have not made that decision to call you their Lord and Savior will you move in their heart even now Lord will you help them not to leave this place without talking to me or without talking to a Christian brother or sister who can show them the truth of your incredible love that sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for them. But Lord, they have to make a decision to follow you. You are not going to force them father our desire is that people will grow closer to you so there's people here lord who've made that first decision they 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 made a choice for you but they've done nothing more they've never said lord you know what each and every day of my life is for you father i pray you'll move in their hearts that you'll challenge them to set every moment of every day aside for you that they will want to live for you that they will see the fruit that you can produce through them because they're willing to say lord it's not me it's you Father, there's still time for these people to come to you. There's still time for these people to ask for prayer support. I ask that during the singing of this last song, Lord, if you've moved in someone's heart, that they'll come forward for prayer. There's nothing embarrassing about coming forward to you. The angels will rejoice in heaven. I'll rejoice. What an incredible blessing it'll be. Father, please continue to do your work this morning. Challenge people. Call them to you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.